Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Suave Talk presented by Dyer's Top Rods. And today, I'm alone. Turbo Tyler Herb is headed to Austin, Texas for the F1 race. So I decide not only to have my BFF on, not only my dad, but also my employer and reoccurring guest, Boom Briggs. Boom, your name's not Boom for real, is it? No, it's not, but we don't need to talk about that. Well, how'd you get the nickname Boom? Uh, my grandmother, uh, back when I was a little kid, uh, my name was Rick, just like my dad. And she was calling me Rick or boom. Cause I used to fall down a lot. So there's a lot of people don't even know my real name. Cause I've been boom for my whole life. And okay. Obviously another nickname for you is the mayor of dirt late model race. And what makes you so friendly at the racetrack? Cause it seems like no matter if it's kids especially of driver's kids, fans like my dad. You're always there helping hand, giving out free beer. How does it feel to be the mayor of dirt late model racing? Well, I don't know if I'm really the mayor, but as far as the kids are, I've always been a kid person, uh, always. And I just love kids. I mean, uh, my wife will tell you that you know, for some reason, I'm just a kid lover and, uh, it's pretty cool when you're in the pits and the kids come around and uh, it's just like I told Lenny Bacchetti a couple of years ago at Charlotte, it cost nothing to be nice, nothing. So unless somebody gives you a reason, there's no reason not to be nice to people. But the other hand of the racing part of it, you know, because I grew up in a family business yeah, I'm a racer, we spend money, but you still have to look at life and racing from both sides. you got to be able to put both shoes on, whether you're it's the promoter, the series, or the race team, or the driver. You have to put a different shoe on and try to see everything as a whole because without everybody working together, we'll all end up with nothing. Well, do you feel like you're a shrink in racing? Because I feel like all the time your phone's going off, you're always talking to drivers. I feel like they come to you because you know how to respond to certain instances, certain scenarios, and I feel like you always give good feedback to them. It's just a little bit of common sense. You try <laughs> to look at things. I mean, I swear common sense in this country anymore is gone, but you know, you just got to look at things. There's always two sides of a story. Always. Uh, right, wrong, and indifferent, there's always two sides. And the biggest thing in racing is I'm 100% against judgment calls. There is no judgment calls. Uh, over the years, judgment calls have cost friendships, cost race, races. So there's no judgment calls. It's cut and dried, and if it's wrong... You just try not to make that same call the next time. But you have to make a call, and you have to understand why you made that call. But, I mean, I enjoy this sport. Like, I did that article the other day with the Outlaws. I, it's been four years since my dad's been gone. It wasn't for my mother, my brother, my sister, especially who, my wife, who allows me to be gone all the time. Well, I'm actually taking to Florida tomorrow, and she'll spend the winter in Florida, so she understands the benefits. But 
I get to do this because of my family and uh, my dad at 72 years old, if he was still alive, would still be active. He loved racing. So we're, I'm going to race for a little bit longer and uh, I don't know. It's a sport that uh, I grew up in and I got a passion for Obviously, you've always mentioned your family. I've been in the toter with you. I've helped out crewing a few times. What was it like growing up in a racing family? I just had this conversation with Mark a couple weeks ago. You know, everybody grew up different. And you can look back. What was the right way or the wrong way to grow up? There really is no right or wrong. But I grew up, my dad started racing in 1981. I was 10 years old. And by 1982, he raced two nights a week, 70, 80% of the time we raced three nights a week. So when we got out of school, there was no summer vacation. There was none of that. We went to the races. We did it as a family. And, uh, you know, the older we got, my grandparents would buy us plane tickets and we'd go to Florida for a week or something. That was our vacation. Uh, our family raced and that's what we did. So it's very important to me to keep that tradition going. Uh, my nephews now are starting to race and my dad would be proud of that, but we just, I knew no different. We either, worked or we raced and that was it that was our life and they it was a good life i mean it is a good life but when you get to do it as a family there's a little exclamation mark on that to where it's special i mean i can remember a year going to east bay and it was chubb and mary and me and my 12 year old stepdaughter katie i mean she washed the car every single day. So, uh, actually I think my brother was down there that year too, for a few days, but, uh, you know, my kids were involved. Uh, even when I wasn't racing and it was Chubb, I mean, my, my kids still went with me. There's a picture from the North South one year, uh, Chubb pitted and I'm changing the right front shock and spring. And here's my daughter, Katie holding a, in a crew shirt, holding a, flashlight for me so it's been a cool ride cool experience in life that we were fortunate enough to do this racing thing as a family and you know we we still do it as a family today i mean shane technically is a family but <laughs> i've known shane since he's four or five years old and he's like another son to me so like i said the other day when shane wants to be done i'll be done and when i'm done Shane's still going to be working for me. I don't care if he mows grass. I don't care what he does. I will take care of Shane the rest of his life because he's taking care of me. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. You, you're you definitely a family guy. I could tell that over the years, just meeting you for working at Dirt on Dirt. But you mentioned him already, your cousin, Chubb. How amazing of a driver was he in his prime? Oh, the best. I mean... And me and Mark have had conversations, Mark Richards, over the the last year about that. I mean, Chubb did more with nothing 
because he had nothing. That old suburban, home-built trailer, winning national races. So, uh, you know, Chubb's going to be 60 in February. He's out there right now. I'm talking to you. I'm in his bar sitting here. He's out there putting a front clip on a customer car right now, working on his jig. So uh, Chubb's talents go deeper than people ever realized. I mean, I know he had issues with different people over the years, but he was a hardcore racer, and he, he was there to win and make money because if he didn't, he wasn't going to race the next weekend. And that's how he grew up, and that's how he raced for a long time is he had to make money to survive. Yeah, and uh, what was your best memory with him when you crewed for him? Well, you dumbass. <laughs> The World 100. What do you remember most from that night? Standing on the back straightaway giving signals. Yeah, I heard they made a rule for you. Is that true? Or uh, because yeah, of you? Yeah, you're not allowed on the racetrack no more. They built walls and fences. <laughs> Besides the World See? 100, was there anything else that came to mind? Uh, we want to race at East Bay one night because we were the first ones to pit. And he actually hit me with a car because he come in and slid the thing around. And I was trying to run around the backside of it. And he knocked me down. Oof. And then he said we were too slow. So we only put right side tires on. So we had the softest left rear you could put on. And yet the hardest right rear we had on. And uh, he passed Burkhofer with a few to go because Burkhofer got tight and that bald left rear tire chub hat on he ended up getting past Burkhofer that was that was pretty that was a eventful night exciting to get a win at East Bay but also an eventful night because he damn near ran me over and then he was yelling because we were so slow changing tires and Chubb yells a lot I'm guessing you two have never gotten an argument ever not even today We haven't got into one yet today, but it's it's been a little rough week around here. Uh, his sister-in-law passed away on Sunday, 50 years old, and then a really, really good friend of mine and Chubbs that we raced with our whole life passed away at 6 o'clock this morning. So it's been a little bit of a rough, sober week around here. and uh, So we haven't argued today, but uh, no, we're, we still argue. <laughs> We're the same person, so. Uh, well, I don't think he smokes as much as you. No, he I, no, he don't smoke, but he's probably inhaled enough over the years for me. <laughs> well, condolences to you and Chubb, and uh, we'll go on a little lighter note here. CNN documentary. Did you ever realize that you become a you know? a national TV sensation because, you know, you make your appearance there a few times, and I was very proud of you when I saw it for the first time. You know, that was a pretty cool deal. Ted and them guys were the – they were great. Followed us around. Uh, I don't remember if there was any footage of it, but I was grinding mulch one morning about six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, and I had no idea they were going to come up, and they set up across the road, and – I seen I seen the footage. I don't know if it ever made the documentary, but uh, no. I mean, listen, that was a cool deal because we all came from nothing out here, 
And for what Chubb accomplished and built and what my dad built, the business side to help all this all work was pretty amazing. I mean, 1969 or 70, my dad bought his first semi with a $5 bill for a down payment. <laughs> uh, Chubb started racing, building cars in the basement of his mom and dad's house out of nothing. Uh, so it's two success stories that I'm fortunate enough to be a part of, and I get to race because of both of them. So, you know, and my Chubb and my dad were first cousins. I mean, and I, I'm like in between them or whatever, but, uh, no, it's been a, it's been, like I said, it's been a cool ride and, uh, I don't know. I'm not done yet. Like I said, I'd like because of having kids and being married at a young age, I raced for three or four years during high school and I didn't get to do it the right way till I was 36, seven years old. So I started a little bit later in life and that's hampered me some, but really my brother and brother-in-law and my mom have taken a lot of load off of me. So really the last two, three months I've been able to work and focus more on racing and, you know, going up and down the road with Mark, he's helped me so much. Uh, I, I do want to do this for another year just because I feel that we could be more consistent. I'm telling you, I get that first outlaw when it could be over that night. What if it was at Fairbury? My first outlaw win comes at Fairbury. <laughs> I guarantee it's over. All right, we'll book that for sure, fans out there listening. How awkward or weird was it? Or I'm going to ask another thing. How long were the CNN camera people there around the shop? Was like a week, a couple months, or how was that? They were definitely here for at least a week at the shop, but because it was Chubb, Josh, and Scott, so they were around the racetrack for at least a month. Uh, Cause they'd go to Scott's shop. They'd go to Josh and Marcus Mark's shop. You know, they were up here for at least a week. It was definitely, it was a month or six weeks. It took them to get all that footage. Yeah. And it's one of the, I never saw it until Rigsby showed it to me on our way to show me 100 in like 2014. I'm like, where the hell have I been this whole time? And when you watch it, it was pretty well done. Maybe, you know, it's a little bit of editing, but it does show like, dirt late mile racing to the team. It was pretty cool to see how Chubb, like they call him the shoestring traveler. It was pretty cool to see him and a family run team do that success story. It was pretty awesome. Oh, definitely. I mean, hell, I can remember I was in bed at eight or nine o'clock one night on a Friday night and he called and got me out of bed because the suburban broke down and <laughs> I had to take him another truck and his dad had to go get his, uh, Chubb's brother's tilt bed and you know I think he was on his way to Wayne County which actually rained out but uh no it's definitely for Chubb Frank and Boom Briggs if it wasn't for both our families I mean we wouldn't be where we're at today so it is really cool and you know I know he don't like it mentioned but he, he's been really good to me and Chubb is that Jeff Farrell. I mean, 
Jeff Farrow, if it was not for Jeff Farrow and helping us with our motor program, uh, neither one of us would be where we're at. Uh, Jeff has owned these motors for 20 some years. And, uh, to me, he's like my best friend. I mean, I can call him and talk to him about anything. I mean, he's just, he's like another brother, cousin to us or whatever. He's just been really part of the success out of this garage. And, uh, Chubb will tell you the same thing, but, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's basically been family and I consider Jeff family and, uh, it's, it, it is a pretty cool deal. All right, there's some, here I'm going to throw out some stats for you. Yeah, Billy Moyer has won six World and Hundreds. Yeah, the Rocket Ones won plenty of World of Outlaw championships. But I think this is the most impressive stat of all dirt late model racing. You might be, somebody can contest this, the only guy on the planet that has won Crew Chief of the Year with the Star Series and the World of Outlaw Series. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty stellar stat there. Well, it's just being... <laughs> respected by the community and there's people that I look up to that voted on that deal because the stars ended the outlaws started and that first year with the outlaws it was tough I mean we went to Oklahoma 22 hours one way 22 hours back one race and it was just me and Chubb and you know them two years right there he won the stars championship and then the Outlaws started the next year. Yes, we had help different weekends, uh, volunteer help, family help. But at the end of the day, it was really just me and Chubb them two years. And uh, it's, a, it's a respect thing that I still cherish a little bit because your other competitors vote on that and the series votes on it. So – that that is something I'm still very proud of and I have a lot of respect for the people that we raced with back in them days. Uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty cool deal. How fun was that Dirty Dozen, the original kind of national touring series? I mean, it kind of and it stars did it too, but it kind of laved the pavement of having, you know, a national series going throughout the entire country, having just all-star cast of drivers. You know, the first few years of the Outlaws, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, it was it was hard. We traveled a lot compared to what we used to travel. But, you know, it was great because them 12 guys had one common goal and good, bad, and different on the racetrack. They all worked together. And we're lacking that right now. We're lacking the part that, uh, that was just and, and, and me and Mark Rigsby. We've all talked about this. Uh, that deal there had to happen. Uh, Mark was a huge influence on making it happen to keep third late model racing on top of its game but in control, uh, you know, the sprint car, dirt lane mall racing is way different than the sprint car deal. We, we go all over the country and 
we depend on local car count to make our show successful. So right now we're in a little bit of a transition again, like we were back then that there's a little bit of a divide between the traveling guys and your local guys. And we really got to close that gap back up because we don't need to be going to 20, 30, $50,000 win races with 30 cars. So I believe it, it needs a little bit of work right now. Uh, it's great. These other people are putting up big money, but to keep this sport healthy, We've got to take care of the loyal people that are going all over the country to support any series. I'm not picking on one series or not. And putting it all on top, I'm not in agreement with. Uh, it's, it's not good for the sport. It, not at all. Because we're only keeping a handful of teams healthy. we got to keep the, the whole series healthy. And what I mean by that is we go to just out here my way, State Line Erie Speedway. We need 20 to 25 locals to show up, buy a pit pass, pay an entry fee with the opportunity to get $1,000 to start. It don't have to be 50000 to win. It don't have to be 100000 to win. Them local guys are looking at what 10th pays and what the start money is. So I really think over the next couple of years, we really need to concentrate on keeping these local guys healthy and keeping, whether you have 10 or 12 on each series, the guy that, that the two or three teams that are winning all the money is great, but you better somehow figure out how to keep the other seven or eight healthy that are loyal to you that are going from Florida to Grand Forks, North Dakota to I-80, Nebraska, you have to keep, I'm very adamant and I've spoke a lot. I'm not big on these top heavy purses, but, and that's where it goes back to 2004 with this outlaw deal and stacker two and stars and max. And we got to get back to where we're keeping our teams healthy. Oh yeah, and, you know. I'll me, keep going. Sorry. Me, yeah. Well, just like what Rigsby's been doing with these flow races, you know, he gets it. I mean, we're we and and like last night, Bulls Gap, and it sucks that I missed it. It's just bad timing right now. But you know, good crowd, good car count, payoff was good. It, it was a very healthy night for the sport. If that makes any sense to you. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like you said, top-heavy purses, you see, you know, 50,000 wins, 100,000 wins. Why do, you know, people uh, decide to put it on the top? Why can't they just make it 50,000 a win and just disperse the other 50 grand throughout the field? Or do the promoters and track owners say, you know what, we might not get the crowd we want, which I complete, I think is complete BS. People are going to show up if you have the cream of the crop there. I, I absolutely believe it. I mean, the best thing, World Racing Group, World Outlaws were the first ones, 10,000 to win, 2,000 for 10th. That is a healthy purse. It's 1,000 to start, 2,000 for 10th, 10,000 to win. 
there's been many races this year with top heavy that are paying 2500 for 10 for 50, 60 laps more. It's supposed to be a crown jewel. We can race every outlaw race, and even Lucas have up their Saturday night purse, 2000 for 10 but we're going to 100000 to win race, and it only pays 2500 for 10 That is not keeping the sport healthy. Yes, can we? Can they charge another $5 for a ticket price because it's 100000 to win race? Sure they can. But 2500 for 10 on a crown jewel is kind of embarrassing, if you ask me. Uh, we race every week for 2000 for 10 World Outlaws or Lucas. So I I do think if they want to keep this third late model sport healthy, they need to look at some of these purses and do some adjusting. I mean, hell, next spring diesel, I'm in the trucking business, so I get it. Next spring, diesel fuel might be five bucks a gallon. You think somebody's, you might, Get more cars at a 10,000 win race because they're getting 2,000 for 10 for 40 laps versus 2,500 for 10 for 100 laps. Oh, so yeah, for sure. I, I, just, I just think it's things in this sport that we really need to take a step back and look at for next year. There's a lot of races already been posted for next year, but it's. It, we're really struggling to get as many traveling teams to cover 70, 80 races a year. That's yeah, a lot of races for sure. All right, switching, so, switching gears here. How awesome was the Erie State Line, that area? I just feel like it was my Farmer City Fairbury for you guys back in the day. Oh, same scenario. In uh, 1983 and 84, my dad ran an open-wheel car and, and Chubb run like a stock car. But if you won, they went like on a two-week rotation. So if you won, you were going to start six. The best you could start was 16th for the next two weeks. <laughs> so... In 83 and 84, when my dad won all them open-wheel races and Chubb won all them stock car races, they started 16th every night. So this is what made Chubb the racer he was. There was We didn't qualify. We didn't draw a pill, luck of the draw. They were on a two-week rotation on finishes. But if you won in that two weeks, the best you were going to start was either 16th or 15th. So them guys won all them races. My dad, I don't even remember how many races he won or chubbed them years, but they won them from 16th in a 25-lap race. So, and I can name names that people know across this country. Chubb Frank, Ron Davies, Dick Barton, uh, Skip Furlow back in the day. Uh, You know, my dad did a little traveling with Chubb, but my dad never got to have the opportunity like I've had to have the best equipment and 
have the crew help and stuff like that. But, and my dad was up and same deal. He didn't, because he was raising a family, didn't get to start until later in life. And it was a little bit more harder on him, but the state line Erie circuit, uh, Brian Roman, another one, really good racer from lives in Michigan. Now, uh, Todd Andrews, I believe he won the hillbilly 100. There's a lot of people in the state line Erie circuit that come out of here that made it to the national level because of how they had to race back then. It wasn't draw one. It wasn't set fast time, start on the pole. Them guys had to start deep every night to win a race. And it makes you a better racer when you have to pass cars. And it was probably way more entertaining at some at some points during the night. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Boom. I know this is a Kovac question. He want, I want you to detail some Kovac. of your injuries that you've had. I know he eats uh, cereal with no milk, so he's kind of thrown out the window anyway. But, all right, you have a detached finger. What exactly happened? I know the story, but some of the fans come up to you. You're doing your little pointy thing that everybody mocks you. Even Shane does it. What exactly happened on that day? Uh, it was a Sunday morning, and uh, back in the day, they used to call it the Bush Clash. It was all the pole winners from the year before that ran at Daytona, and uh, we didn't have the kids that weekend, so it was just me and my wife. She and she said, "Well, I'm going to run down to the store and get us some subs for lunch before the race starts." I'm like, "Yeah, I need to go down to the truck garage. It's February, it's cold, snowing." I need to put these trucks in the garage. I got to go to work in the morning. So I went down to the truck garage and there's an old timer down there washing trucks. And I'm like, Hey, I got to put these trucks in. So I opened the door, went out, slipped on the ice, a wedding ring caught on the fuel step of the truck and basic, basically degloved my finger. So the best part of the story was, is when, this old timer that worked for my dad for 40 years went outside, got a bunch of snow and started packing my finger Ugh. with snow. But, uh, yeah, it was just so much for the Bush clash that day. Uh, yeah. Well then, I, <laughs> you know, there was no cell phones back then. And my mom was at the store too. So I called my, my wife was gone. I called my dad come down. He's like, oh, we got to go to the hospital. I'm like, Man, the bush clash is coming on. It's only 50 laps. It won't take that long. <laughs> yeah, Dad, come on. The bush but, clash is racing. Uh, yeah, I want to watch a bush clash. And uh, now I ended up at the hospital, and three hours later, they tried sewing it on. And that guy was a dipshit, anyways, that doctor. But six weeks later, they took it off. All right. Is it true that you only have one nutsack? Very true fact. That happened on Chubb's property. Do you blame Chubb? It happened on his property. I'm going to blame Chubb for everything. <laughs> How'd this happen? It was Octo- <laughs> uh, well, we had an older feller working for us, and I was trying to get an oct- We'd gotten home from Florence. Florence paid 30000 to win. It rained out. We raced there on Sunday. My dad was actually there, made the race. We got home. About this time of year, October, 
nice day. I'm like, Hey, we got to put this farm equipment away. And, uh, old timer was working for us. And I was in the back of the tractor trying to hook up the three point hitch and his foot fell off, slipped off the clutch. And I mean, it ripped my pants off because the back tire started spinning and crushed me into the mowing machine. And yeah, that, that hurt worse than anything. Uh, I would say the jewels got a little bit of, got hit a little bit there, but, uh, you mentioned the Bush Clash. Is a Bush Light bottle the greatest drink ever invented? It's the yes, it absolutely is the best. Why did you, you decide growing up that there was that was gonna be your beer of choice? Or did it happen later on in life? Oh, definitely. I didn't listen, I raised kids. We had kids young and I tell a story people don't believe me. Uh, my uncle brought us a case of beer one Christmas Eve. And the next Christmas Eve, it was still in the refrigerator. <laughs> I was raising kids and working seven days a week. but And I get my balls busted because everybody thinks I drink. But I really don't drink that much. No, you just but like to have it in I your love- hand and so and like just talk and get the scoop. I've seen you in action. I will contest to this. Yeah, yeah but Bush Light in a bottle is the smoothest, easiest. It just tastes good. I've listen, I call JD right now. I guarantee you at JD's house, he's got bush light in a bottle in his refrigerator. Daryl Lanigan, he's got it in his refrigerator. Aaron Parrish has it in a refrigerator. Aaron Parrish, yes. My good friend Aaron Parrish, yes, he has it in his refrigerator. Yeah, and probably something else in the deep freeze, but we're not going to get to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not for TV. Yeah, how many beers have you? do you pass out a year, you think? It's got to be a decent amount. It is. I'll tell you, I give – I. everybody knows they can come to my trailer, so – and – You have yet to give me a free just, beer at, at all this year. I haven't given you a free beer. No, you just did last week at Fairbury when we saw my dad there. Oh, before yeah, before Logie's wedding. Yeah, well, you're. Yeah, I always take care of your dad. You're a very lucky man. You have a very good father, and obviously, he raised you right because you turned into something. Yeah, I know that's something is right for sure. All right, something is right for sure. All right, what else you got? All right, a couple more questions. We can't do an interview without even talking about Shane. I mean. This guy is the heart and soul of the team. And like you said, once he's done, you'd be done. But people do not realize how hard that man works. <clears throat> and, you know, no, they don't. They don't know. And usually he helps me. It's hunting season, and he's really got into hunting. So normally he goes, I'm leaving for Florida in the morning to get my wife down there. He usually helps me go down there, but Shane is, to me, the heart and soul of me. I mean, hell, he knows the passcodes on my bank account. He, Shane is, uh, no, they don't understand. That truck trailer is cleaned every week. Uh, Cars are prepared. 
I mean, we're not as consistent where we need to be because there's only so much he can get done in a week. He's one man, but we don't break. We don't fall out of races because shit falls off my car. Uh, our cars are prepped right. Our stuff is taken care of, cleaned. You know, them Clement Motors that Jeff owns, Shane treats them like... Shane does way more than people think they, that he really does. He's like three crew guys in one. He does everything. Body, motor, tuning. He does it all. Yes. Uh, no, he, he's good. and He's never told me no, which he probably should. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's just like we go to Florida. The, the last couple of years, we get down to Florida early. You know, I make sure he gets to go fishing with me. Uh, we're getting go to we're getting ready to go to Vegas, and then the biggest thing about going to Vegas is just the vacation to have a good time. Shane Shane's never got to go to Vegas, so I want to make sure that you know we try. I try to make sure during the summer we're on the road, you know, he's away from his family. I'm away from mine. I try to make sure that we go out and do something, uh, this year because of Mark, he hooked us up. We went with him walleye fishing out in North Dakota and Shane loves fishing. So he had a hell of a good time doing that. But now that kid's, uh, I think you ask anybody in the pit area, they've really paid attention. And like this year traveling with Mark, I mean, Mark knows the sport. Mark pays attention, but Shane is, Shane is definitely one of a kind. And I know everybody says, I got a business. We got 25, 30 employees. You know, everybody's replaceable. In my mind, Shane's not replaceable because not only is he like a son to me, he's my best friend. So he takes care of everything for me. And uh, we just need to, we get a little bit extra help. And, you know, Mark's been really, really helping us and had a really good test at Charlotte the other day. So I want to get the success next year for Shane. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, you mentioned Shane, but... You also have another crew guy, me. I mean, what about me? How am I as a I, crew guy? I'm not bad. You blew us off at the dirt track. I had other go things going on. Game. The Packers, Bears. Football game. Who? The Packers and Bears, the oldest rivalry in sports. I've never heard of them. Oh, well, I'm not uh, bad though as a crew guy. I got. I'm very good at team morale. You're very good. At, I will give you credit. There's two things you're good at. Team morale, running a camera, and running your mouth. Well, so you're really good at running your mouth. I'm good at drinking beer. Yeah, and here's the other thing. You're one lap, one beer. Who provides the beer for that? You are the official, unofficial. Actually, you are the official sponsor. Bush Lattes is the unofficial, but you're the one I get it from. So without you, we couldn't have a hit TV show or a hit uh, show, a.k.a. segment, on the website. So I got to thank you for that. And to this day, I don't think I'm the top, but I'm close. The no, one lap, one beer. some guy named Kyle Larson passed you, which I still believe is fake numbers, but you're right up there. 
for sure. Kyle Larson, yeah. There's another guy, good guy. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. Kyle, he is a good dude. He's a good dude. He let me stay at his place here about a month ago. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a very good person. Him and his wife are very good people. I got to ask you a very personal, not really a personal, I guess for drivers it is. Why do drivers prefer rainouts when they're at the racetrack? It seems like everywhere we go, they're like, is it going to rain? Looking at your radar, oh, it's canceled. I feel like drivers sometimes prefer rainouts. Uh, listen, I've, <laughs> we've had this conversation for the last couple of weeks. Worst thing that ever happened to racing was people getting iPhones. Because people that have iPhones are now weather people. We've canceled more races this year because of crew people, driver people with phones. The worst thing that happened to races was everybody having an iPhone and now they're a weather person. Because there's a lot of races that got canceled that still could have been ran this year. But on the other side of that, it costs a lot of money to pull out of this garage to drive somewhere that you know it's going to get rained out. If we're in route, I say we're in route, you go there, rains out, it rains out. But I'm not a believer in calling them as early as everybody else calls them. I'm just a believer in let's make smart decisions. Well, you're always a guy that makes smart decisions, Boom. No. I make a lot of bad, dumb ones, but at least I admit it. Have you ever got a dumbass sticker from Chubb? A lot. Yeah, he gave me one in Eldora one time. We actually need to get more made because we're out of them. you, You would have to get a million nowadays with the current times we're in. Oh, absolutely. The current, oh. I could hand them out daily. You could hand them out just walking first, in the pit area. You'd run out the first day. The first thing I would do is drive to Washington, D.C. and start handing them out. <laughs> that, I could see that for sure. I'm agreeing you with that one. All right. You travel a lot. You run the World of Outlaws the last few years. You ran Lucas. How big of the Nimrods are the Fairbury folks that you've met over the years? They're, uh, they're kind of a crazy bunch, but they love Boom Briggs. Hey, listen. And it was a bad, it, I drove, I had a lot of opportunities to race anywhere I wanted to race. And I drove out to Fairbury for the Falls Frenzy. Wasn't supposed to rain out. It did rain out Friday. And Saturday, we didn't make the race. And I'm realistic. It was more self-inflicted than anything because, Brandon Shepard's a really good friend of mine now and helped me. And we just had a few things. With, you can't be two tenths off in this sport nowadays. So, but I drove to race. I chose to race at Fairbury. Good, bad, and different because the way them people treat me out there. And I'm going to go support the people that support me. And from Matt Curl, to Michael Rigsby, to even you, Derek, uh, and your little posse at Fairbury. The posse. Talk about them a little bit. People don't understand. They're burnt. 
they are very burnt. Uh, they're a little more burnt than they should be. Yes, <laughs> they need to grow up a little bit. But uh, it's a cool ass racetrack, and it's a cool ass town, and it it just it reminds me of the when I was a kid in the '80s of the State Line Erie thing. You know, even though State Line was Saturday and we had to go to Erie on Sunday, there was always a so-called party. Somebody was doing a corn roast or somebody was cooking hot dogs. You know, nobody left the pit area. Uh, Nowadays, you go somewhere, we're all fighting to get out the gate. We can't wait to leave. So when you go to Fairbury, to me, it brings back memories of me growing up at State Line in Erie. Like, everybody hung out. And uh, I just like the fact that when I go there, uh, they welcome me, they take care of me. Uh, and like that weekend, it didn't go as planned, but I had a choice where to go, and I drove 11 hours to Fairbury. Because you wanted to see Logie get married. Hey. Yeah, that, listen, I'm still a little upset about that because you guys were supposed to bring me a vehicle and nobody brought me a vehicle and I missed Logan's wedding. Well, I think part of it was everybody that was supposed to be in the wedding was a little hungover, so they were just trying to keep a big, straight, happy face for Logan that day. But it was a great time. Last travel question, what's the best casino in the country? The best casino in Not the country? Not in Vegas because you usually don't travel the, travel there while racing. And I can't say Fort Lauderdale because I don't go there for racing. Uh, the one in Tampa is really nice and big. But I heard you were there with Bloomquist and Sweet when they put out the goldfish in the fountain there. Uh, yes, I was. <laughs> I do like the Tampa Let's one. It's a it huge one, too. Yeah, that's a huge one. Uh I really like Council Bluffs. Um, you know, me and, this year at I eighty, me and Mark got a room there, and we stayed there every night. Uh, didn't do as good as I'd hoped there, but I like uh, Council Bluffs. I, I was probably the nicest one. Yeah, that one is pretty sweet when you see it when you're on the way to I eighty for sure. All right, boom, last. Last question, where do you see yourself in racing in three to four years, or do you think maybe there'll be a different thing for Boom Briggs? Uh, I really haven't thought that far ahead. Uh, I know we're headed in a good direction to start off next year really strong and have a really good competitive year. Uh, I'm never going to be... J.D., McCready, Brandon Shepard. I'm realistic. I know I'm not going to be, but I'd like to be able to pull off a couple good wins next year and just consistently get back to running top 10. Uh, I'm an advocate for the sport. I want to see these series survive and, and go on for a while. And, you know, I was just logistics and timing – I couldn't finish off the flow deal. Uh, I really respect and appreciate what Rigsby's done. You know the deal as one of the very, 
very first few subscribers, he had to set my own laptop up for me so I could get it. Uh, and Michael Rigsby's done a lot for me over the years. So I'm an advocate advocate for this sport like he is. And uh, like I said, I, I, I hope nobody's mad about what I had to say about these purses, but it's really the truth. It's business. And uh, making them top-heavy because we can charge the fans an extra five bucks, I just don't believe in. I believe in we better figure out how to keep these teams healthy because from 2005 till right now, 2021, we don't have the car owners or the teams that can go out and run 60, 80 races on a national circuit. So we got to figure out a way to keep the other eight or 10 guys healthy so they can still travel. That's, My thoughts on that, I, I just really, truly believe we need to worry about paying back through. And, uh, you know, if you look at Eldora, you look at I-80, you look what Brian Carter did with the point fund first. Brian Carter, WRG was the first one to up their point money, and it made everybody else follow. So, you know, we got to support these people that are willing to put the money up. For sure, boom, for sure. Well, the mayor of Dirt Late Model Racing, I'm not lying, this is the best Suave Talk interview I've ever done. You were very insightful. You were awesome. Your story about you having one nut is hilarious, by the way, but I'm glad you you survived it and you're okay. I, I'm glad you can't wait to tell the country. I can't wait either. Boom, you're one of my good friends. I know that my uh, the door is always open for me. You've been nothing but kind to me and the staff, and it was very appreciative of you during busy season to take an hour out of your day to be on Swap Talk. It was awesome. I, I, I've always been a dirt on dirt. Now it's flow. Uh, big supporter. Did interviews for you guys this year. The Rodell Dora, which was really cool. So maybe when it's all said and done, I can get on Rigsby's payroll. I think that'd be awesome. We'd uh, maybe they'd move me out there. We'll set up a studio in the one star bar, and we'll just have a good time. We will have a good time, Derek. All right, boom. Thank you very much. It was awesome to have you on. I appreciate it, and I, I, I feel, uh, I feel, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Appreciative, or I feel appreciative that you consider calling me and being on Swab Talk. There's a lot of other people in this country that are way more important than me. So thank you.